I'd like um, to look this morning at those verses from Psalm 119 that we said together. Psalm 119 is the giant among the Psalms. It has 176 verses, so it's the sort of psalm, Liz, that you could learn just before breakfast. It's also the longest chapter in the Bible. It's very personal. It doesn't claim to be a psalm of David, but the psalmist gives praise to God for his word. Verse 118 is, is a verse that some people would say, if you want to know what it's about, look at Psalm verse 118. Accept my offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. Psalm 119 has a unique structure. It's divided into 22 sections, and every verse in each section begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Today we're looking at verses 105 and 112 and the Hebrew letter that they begin with, each verse begins with, is the Hebrew letter Nun. That sounds very knowledgeable, it isn't. I just looked it up on the internet and then looked up a, for a picture of the letter Nun. Uh, no doubt Carol probably can <laughs> tell us all about that. Firstly, the psalmist speaks of his delight in God's word. Verse 105, it's a very well-known verse, slightly different words I'm using. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What is he saying? When he speaks of the word of God, he, he the psalmist, is speaking primarily of what we know as the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Jews know these books as the Torah, as God's law. Now, for many, the idea of law is negative and restrictive. But for the psalmist, the law is glorious, liberating, and life-giving. He realized it was given in love for the benefit of those to whom it was given, and that it was good, a precious gift. It enabled individuals to flourish. It enabled society to flourish. It offers us the way of wisdom. But more than that, the psalmist realizes that the law was a token from God given to his people as a gift, a token of his love and presence with them. For instance, if you think about how the Ten Commandments begin, they don't begin with a thou shall not or thou shall. They instead begin with a story, a statement about God's love and choice. They start with gospel. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. You shall have no other God than me. And the psalmist delights in this word. He uses many different words in this psalm to describe the word of God. He talks here, just in our verses, of God's word, God's ordinances, God's law, God's precepts, God's decrees, God's statutes. And if you read through each of the sections, you'll see those words and others are repeated. And for Christians, we have an added reason for delighting in the word of God. Not only are they correctly understood, still good lines, still good guidelines, 
for a well-functioning society. Not only do they offer us the way of wisdom, but we believe that Jesus Christ is the one who is spoken of, promised in the Torah, that he is the one who embodies the words of the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament and think, I can't make sense of this, how am I meant to make sense of this? How am I meant to live in the light of this? Well, look at Jesus, because Jesus embodies the law and the spirit of the Old Testament. Jesus not only speaks the words of God, but he is the embodiment of the words of God. So when we say that God's word is our lamp and our light, we're saying that the word of God shows us, especially when we're confused or lost or in the dark place, the right way to live. It doesn't usually tell us the specific day-to-day decisions that we need to make. We have to grow up and take responsibility for ourselves. But it does show us the sort of people we are called to be and how we can become those people. It does not tell us, for instance, what job we should do, but it does tell us how we should do that job. It doesn't tell us whether we should marry or who we should marry, although certain principles are laid down, but it does tell us how to be someone who lives a godly and fruitful single life or how to be a godly husband or wife. It doesn't tell us where we should live, but it does tell us how we should live. And through his word, God gives us his warnings and encouragements and his promises of constant forgiveness, his presence with us, his transforming power at work in us, his strength in our weakness, and of the wonderful hope he gives us. When we say that God's word is our lamp and our light, we are saying, actually that Jesus is our lamp and our light. He is the one who said, I am the light of the world. And when we say with the psalmist in verse 111, your decrees are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. We're not just saying that the Old Testament promises of God are our hope, but that the person and presence of Jesus is our hope. And the psalmist also declares his commitment to the word of God. Verse 106, I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to observe your righteous ordinances. And he pledges that even though he is severely afflicted, even though his life is in his hand, verse 109, that's a way of saying his life is at risk, And even though his enemies are out to trap him, verse 110, he will stick with God's word. He will not forget God's word, and he will keep God's word. Some of us here, I don't know, may have pledged allegiance to a flag, or we vowed on the Bible to tell the truth in a court of law, or we've made commitments to the person we have married, But usually vows are something that we shy away from. That's understandable. We know how often when we vow something, we cannot keep up our good intentions and we let ourselves and we let others down. Uh, I think of Peter, you know, that first follower of Jesus, who swears to Jesus, I will never let you down. 
and 24 hours later he's denying that he knows Jesus to a slave girl. But this psalm shows that it's okay and more than okay, it's right to make a vow or commitment to God. Not because we can keep it, but because he can keep us. Preachers sometimes invite people to make what is called a decision for Christ, to choose to receive his love and pledge that with his help we will follow him for the rest of our lives. That can be helpful for some because we need to be brought to that point of decision. Others need to go away and seriously work out whether this is something that we're prepared to do and not be persuaded by the emotion of the moment. I read of one man, uh, a, a priest called Michael Harper. Well, he is now a priest. He, um, at the time, he was a student at Oxford, a non-believer. He went to a meeting, to one such meeting. He went away, sat down in his study with a piece of paper, wrote down on one side the pros of following Jesus, on the other side the con, the against of following Jesus, and decided to make the decision and follow Jesus. The Anglican Church is, of course, much more measured, but we still call people to make a declaration of commitment. The baptism and confirmation service include a commission, and the minister asks the newly baptised or confirmed, will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, that's the Bible, and meeting together, in breaking of bread and in the prayers? Will you persevere in resisting evil and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? Those are just two of five. And we're invited to say after each, with the help of God, we will. We're not asking anyone to make a declaration out of arrogance or pride, thinking that they can do it in their own strength. Rather, we're asking people who have become aware both of the love of God, of their own weakness, and of the new life that God has given us, to declare that we are prepared to trust God and his word, and to commit ourselves, with God's help, to doing what he says for the rest of our lives. And so, verse 112 the psalmist says, I incline my heart, we would probably say, I set my will to perform your statutes forever. It's the second time that word forever comes in the psalm. It doesn't quite come out in our translation. And then he adds, to the end. And thirdly, the psalmist prays, Praise God will teach him his word and give him life according to his word. And this is a prayer that we can pray. Teach me your word. Help me to read the Bible and to rightly understand it and to apply it. Help me to understand your laws and your ways. Not that I might stand in judgment over them, but that I might humble myself before them and do them. And the psalmist asks God to give him life, verse 107, because he is afflicted, crushed, because he feels like one who is sentenced to death, who is already dead. Sometimes it's very hard to pray the psalms because we're not in the same situation as the psalmist. And there are times, to be honest, 
when the psalmist is asking for things that we find quite difficult to ask for. But Psalm 119 is one of those psalms that we can pray. And the closer that we walk with God, or perhaps more truly, the closer we want to walk with God, the more we can pray it. I do pray that you've discovered this. You're praying that God in his mercy will teach you his word and give you life. Not just a better physical life, but real life, eternal life that you've made that commitment to follow Jesus and his word, and that with the help of the Holy Spirit, you will stick with it, even when it gets tough. And that God's word, that Jesus Christ is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, that it is that he is your heritage, your hope, and your future.